Hey guys, it's me, Nature Nate. I've been looking for an excuse on the show to talk about the circular economy. But Nate, you always do that, I know. But I want to talk about it from the angle of a green career. What is it? What does it take? How do I get one of these green jobs? Well, in many cases, it might be best to make it yourself. And that's what Isabel Agard did. Hi, I'm Isabel, co-founder of Last Object. We've been on a mission toward a less trashy world. Isabel Agard is a product designer and entrepreneur based in Copenhagen, Denmark. She founded a circular startup called Last Object, which has been eliminating single-use items from our world by creating their reusable alternatives. She actually created the world's first reusable cotton swab called The Last Swab. It's not as gross as it sounds. They raised $1.2 million from 30,000 backers on Kickstarter. We're just design by design, trying to make products that you can reuse again and again and again, and therefore create less waste. She originally started as a designer. Then one day she saw the amount of waste that was being created with these products and decided to work with her friends from other design firms to create this new company and create alternatives to single-use items. This to me is the right way to approach a green or circular career. You're taking your existing skill set and applying it to an environmental problem, rather than trying to reskill yourself and give up tools that you have in your arsenal. I really enjoyed my conversation with Isabel. You can actually listen to the interview and hear me get one over throughout our conversation. So learn about what it takes to be a circular designer and to create the last version of something. Play the tape, hopefully not the last tape. This is Waste Not, Why Not, a sustainability podcast on how not to save the environment. I'm your host, Nature Nate, and I'm an environmental consultant based in Taiwan, focusing on energy, ocean, and waste issues. Welcome to the show, Isabel. <laughs> yes, I've heard your show, and I think it's amazing. So I'm so honored to be able to be on it and talk about a little bit about us and what we're doing. In a weird sense, what was your first last object? What was the first object that you wanted to make the last object of? Yeah. <laughs> Our first last object was last swab, which is a reusable cotton swab. Mm. And uh, we did it in two different versions, one for cleaning ears and one for editing makeup, because that was like the two main usages of Q-tips of cotton swabs. And how did you decide on the cotton swab? Did you kind of like look at what are the most commonly landfilled items or was it just, man, I use a lot of cotton swabs. How do I stop this? We started investigating what items are really wasteful, what are really affecting, have a very negative effect on the planet. And the swap was just really high on the list. And we thought it was really weird because it, it's a really small object. So you wouldn't really think that it has a massive impact. But because people often throw them in the toilet, they go through filtration systems and directly into our oceans. People throw them in the toilet? They do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Learn something new every day about <laughs> people's behavior. <laughs> exactly. So this was like a on top of creating something, using a lot of resources and production and shipping. It had this extra element of being improperly thrown out. And also, you don't really think about how many you use because you, you get a carton, maybe hundreds of swaps, and then you just use them throughout a week, you know, a month, a year. You don't really see how much that actually accumulates. Mm. So looking at these daily objects and, and looking at our first product, we really just want it to also be a little bit surprising. Choose an item that you don't really look at and say, oh my God, that's so wasteful. But 
actually, when you look at the numbers and when you look at how many swaps are actually produced every single day, it's just crazy. Yeah, I think that's interesting because you always hear about replacements for plastic bottles. I've seen thousand maybe, you know, alternatives to plastic, but you don't hear much about swabs. Zooming out a bit, what was your sort of first encounter with zero waste or the circular economy? What made you want to redesign objects to kind of replace their single-use counterparts? I think that we we saw a lot of objects, you know, coffee mugs, water bottles, straws, all of these different products. And I think our goal was really to look at all the objects that people are not looking at because it's maybe harder to design or it's an icky product or like, ew, should I wash my swap? That's so disgusting. I think that that element of surprise and element of trying to look at these items in a new way, and that was really fun in the whole design process. Mm. I founded my company with my two co-founders and we're all three designers. So I think this is where we get our energy. It's like taking these weird objects and really trying to figure out how can we practically create this so that you will reuse it. And for these products, did you first try and sell it to a company or maybe you could pitch to one of the big Q-tip companies? Did you try that? Was there any traction there? That's actually never what we did. Before Last Object, we were working in our own companies where we're doing also design-based things and you know getting royalty and somebody else is selling it in that sense. But I think we've all just really wanted to create something where we were creating it like we wanted to. So that means like production or shipping or facilities, the way we distribute everything. Like it's the whole company that was also sustainable. Mm. That was what was very fascinating for us. If we just made a product and then sold it to somebody, we wouldn't have the control of making sure that the product is also very sustainably made and that it's thought through in all different corners of the organization. So our dream and our aim was always to have our own company and make sure that we could really create something that was circular. And how do you ensure that something is sustainable? There's hundreds of certifications. What, what does sustainable mean for you and when you're talking about sustainability throughout the company? What is, how does that manifest? I think sustainability for me is, first of all, always it lasts anything that we create like the main focus has to be that this product will withhold a lot of uses it will last for decades it would even be something that's passed around i remember when i went to design school i had this professor who kept talking about this design chair that we have it's called seven it's a like a danish design chair and like the materials actually they're not very sustainable they're plastic and metal and it's but it's such a popular and well-made chair so it's maybe made, I think, 50 years ago. And you just see it being sold from household to household to household because it's quite expensive. And you need all, you know, six chairs around your dining table. And it's really, I think, the most sustainable design that we've had here in Denmark because it's not something you throw out. It's something you fix up, something you repaint, and then you sell it. Mm. So I really like this idea of creating something that you design-wise love so much that you will take care of it and that you will make sure that it has a lifelong journey before it ends up being trash. That's definitely one area of the circular economy and sustainability, right, is increasing the durability to make sure it lasts, repair, reuse, sharing, customizing. Do you go down like any kind of certification pathways with this? Have you thought about things like B Corp or for auditing? How do you kind of measure sustainability? 
in the beginning, we, we measured everything ourselves. And I think that's very valid also. And it was also a really good test because it makes us constantly change up materials, change up design on products that we've had for two years. And I think that we need to keep changing up what we're doing and make sure that we, of course, as a startup, we run with what we have, but we constantly go back and make sure that we're using the materials that make sense. But now we actually, we're just going into like a process where we have this company from the outside, which are doing tests on all our products and the single use alternatives. And then they're gonna like align everything so that we can see where can we be better, what products are really good for the environments and what are not. And they're looking at durability, toxins, materials, everything resource wise, but also how it's manufactured and in what kind of condition. So this is like a huge report. I think we're a couple of weeks from actually having it in our hands, but it's been like a massive process of like months. This is like a life cycle assessment? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's going to be a lot of work then. I've been involved in some of those processes before. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the materials that you are using? What are some of the materials that you prefer as a circular designer? Yes. Actually, we just made a really fun change. Our first product the last swab. The material is based on durability. So the core is reinforced glass fiber and PPE and the ends are TPE. And that's because it has a chemical bind with the other material so that we make sure that this, the ends don't come off. Everything is like really, really strong and safe. But the box we could be really fun with because that doesn't have to withhold, you know, that much strength. So in the beginning, we actually made it with PLA, which is a corn-based plastic. Mm. And this is light in transport and it's not oil-based. So I really liked the material in the beginning because I thought it was really nice to have something that could be composted, but composted in a facility. And then throughout the last year, we found a really good partner that uses ocean-bound plastic. Mm. And I think that's a mix of different plastics, but it is looking into cleaning up also. It's cost like three times more than PLA. And PLA is already expensive. Exactly. But this ocean-bound plastic, I felt like it really had a really massive purpose because it is putting money into cleaning up. I felt that it had like a double, a double, what do you call it? Like Co- co-benefit or co- double yeah. benefit? Yeah. <laughs> double benefit. Yeah, that, that's important, especially with, with ocean plastic, because it has kind of limited use that you can do with ocean. You wouldn't make the last swab out of ocean plastic. Otherwise, yeah, I don't know, that'd be dangerous. But with packaging, you know, who cares? That's, that kind of gives you this freedom. Exactly. What are the biggest design barriers when it comes to a zero waste product? Or what are some of the design considerations that you have to put in? I think when we're designing, there's a lot about perception of what is sustainable. So for example, if you look at a paper bag, you would think that was more sustainable than a plastic bag. And that's not necessarily the case. Right. It's important that we create products that have the perception of being sustainable, but that they actually are. So a lot of people said like, oh, why can't you make the box in bamboo, for example? And I'm like, I understand that it is perceived as more sustainable, but it isn't actually. So things like this, we have to constantly challenge ourselves and also challenge our customers in education, in a sense. (laughs) So that is like a limbo. 
For example, our packaging is also made in cardboard and that is sustainable. We could also make it in maybe not a colored, but something that would also be sustainable. But I want it to look sustainable. Mm, so the aesthetics. Yeah, the aesthetics. This is is really, really very important when we are creating sustainable products. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's an important point. I mean, if something doesn't capture the essence of it in the way it's visually expressed, then no one will care, right? I mean, there's a lot of laptops that use recycled plastic, but it's just black, so you have no idea. Or, you know, steel, huge percent of steel is recycled, but we have no idea because it's just steel. So that's kind of an interesting point to make about expressing that visually. And you said that you're, it's about educating your customers. And I've heard similar things from other people who have zero waste startups. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Do you have some like particularly opinionated customers when it comes to your products? Definitely, definitely. But that's also what makes it so amazing because they really involve themselves in our products. Mm. They have a lot of ideas. I think that it's very important that we listen. And it's also very important that we really stand our ground and make sure that what we're creating is something we can stand behind. It's really important that we talk about it, but sometimes it's also very complex. Like my example with paper bags and plastic bags. In some contexts, yes, if you're throwing this bag out in the nature afterwards, then it would have been better if you had used paper bag. But sure. if you're throwing it out in your trash or using it as a bag afterwards in a place in the world where you have incinerations or you just burn your trash, then the plastic bag is better. Mm. You know, But it's also what kind of plastic bag you're using. It's just so complex. And sometimes people want small, quick TikTok, Instagram, oh, yeah. Facebook pops of information that they can kind of digest and then, okay, I understand what I'm going to do. And that's sometimes more complex. Yeah. I mean, that's what I tell people all the time with this show. It, it, it's not ever just a simple solution, right? It depends on where you are, what the product is. Yeah, really resonate with uh, you can't just have everything in a TikTok when it comes to environmental issues. This is a conversation, right? It's not going to be so clear cut. And you know, when, when I first saw your last object, I thought, why didn't one of these other companies just do this already? I'm sure a Q-tip company could theoretically make a more durable Q-tip. I think these industries, these single-use industries, they are massive. They're so huge. And that is not always a plus because, you know, <laughs> if it's a tank or a boat and you have to go in a new direction, that's just going to take a lot of time for that to like turn around and go the other direction. Right. So in these big companies, I think there are so many hierarchies and a lot of different ways, uh, processes. So they can't move quick. They can't just like we do. Designs throughout a couple of days, test, try it out, send it out, make a Kickstarter in a day and just run with it. That fast paced designing and also innovative thinking is actually not something that's just so easy for these huge companies. I think they will now catch on to it. And I think that we have to run really fast to be able to have the sweet spot that we have right now because they will see that things are starting to look like we're going to have more reusables. And they have a huge production facility. They have huge everything else that we maybe don't have that much information on, or we can't put it into retail in 50,000 countries right, you know, or right. stores. It's So we have some things that we have to reach before they find out that this is actually the new shit. Are there other kinds of barriers with like consumers? I mean, do you ever meet someone? I meet people all the time and they're like, I don't listen to podcasts. And I'm just like, okay, well, I mean, yeah. do you ever meet people and they're like, I'm not going to reuse that. I'm not going to have a reusable yeah. Q-tip. <laughs> Definitely. And do you, how do you win them over? Do you just, you're like, here, like, here's the swab. Well, sometimes people actually in the beginning, when we just launched, I did some different Facebook posts 
And I think it was pretty 50-50 if people were like, oh my God, this is amazing. And that is so disgusting, you know? <laughs> so I think that this, and I don't, you know, bad press is never really bad press. It, it just makes people follow it because it is a little bit icky and they want to see where this is going. I don't think we have to win anybody over. I think that we have to just keep making products that are not only for the eco mom, but that are also for 90% of population, you know, so it has to be mm. colorful, it has to be fun. It has to be an easy switch for your habit. We can't demand too much of people that have busy lives and busy days, but you have to be ready to do that switch. You have to want to do that switch. Mm. A lot of our customers, they don't come back and buy a lot of products, but they do come back and then they buy a lot of presents for all their friends. Ah. So they're like, oh my God, I use this. I think this is absolutely amazing. And then they create their own community inside their community of we have to make change. When you find these people and if you can just support them, then this will infiltrate it to the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I don't want to talk I'm not a business expert in any dimension, and I, I don't know too much about business models. But yeah, if you make something that lasts a long time, I feel like financial-wise, that's going to be a problem. What's your solution to making a product that lasts maybe too long? Well, and it's so funny because so many investors also ask us this. I just feel like it's such a, an old-fashioned question because we're creating a change in the world. I'm not creating a company to earn a lot of money. I'm creating a company to make a difference. And I think that our biggest aim just has to be that the same customer comes back and says, oh, you also have tissues now. Ooh, you have cotton rounds and keep those customer on board. Then you also have this gift element that was surprising and has been amazing for us. And then we just have to get out there, keep opening contacts that can be ambassadors for what we are creating, what we're doing. All right, let's take a break here. We've already talked about how Isabel got into sustainable design, how companies measure sustainability, and what design barriers she had encountered in her career. After the break, we'll hear more about how Isabel funded her business, about greenwashing in the design world, and about the future that she dreams of. Waste Not Why Not talks to the people who know what's really happening with the environment. The show is scientifically proven to give our listeners the tools, the arguments, and the laughs that we need to stop the climate crisis. Support the show and help us talk to more people and talk at more of you listeners. So donate at patreon.com slash waste not why not. It's waste not why not one word. Not waste not why not one word, just waste not why not. No spaces, just all together. The name of the show, waste not why not. Patreon.com slash waste not why not. You get it. So we talked about Kickstarter. Why Why Kickstarter? Why that model? Why go with crowdfunding? I've heard good things. I've heard bad things. It's definitely difficult. It's hard to kind of rise above the noise. Why Kickstarter and how was it for you? It wasn't our first Kickstarter. We'd done a couple of Kickstarters beforehand. I think as a designer, you kind of end up sometimes with your products thinking they're absolutely amazing and you would want this and this is just going to be huge. And then when you actually get to the market, you find out that, okay, that's just me. <laughs> this is actually not something that everybody else is loving. This is just something that I'm loving. So it's really good for us to get that reality check sometimes mm. and to get our products validated. Even now, we still launch our things on Kickstarter. 
we did a tissue box as the second. And it was just really also a tester. Like, is this also too weird or are you still with us guys? You know, (laughs) would you like this? And I think that getting that feedback and also being able to, in those months, change up a couple of things because people interact and they comment and then they choose the colors so that we can produce exactly what people are ordering and also have a good baseline of what we should order in the future. You know, not having a storage room full mm. of shit that you can't get rid of. Oh, yeah. So, kind of like smart manufacturing. Yeah. Sort so of. it has a lot of elements. But definitely this angle of validating your product as a designer, I think, is sustainable. <laughs> Were there any products that are just too weird? You said the Kleenex box was weird. That doesn't seem too weird to me. Did you try toilet paper and the Kleenex box was just the less strange version of that? (laughs) We have a, well, we actually have a toilet roll at our office on the top shelf as like, (laughs) when we have solved this, we can all just be at peace because it is like the ultimate goal. But I feel like I'm actually, I just became a mother a year ago and I went directly into reusable diapers, for example. Oh, sure. Yeah. And. This was actually really hard. And I'm a very, very passionate person in this area. And I had to fold. It's hard sometimes for some habits to get them changed. The diaper one is interesting because if you look up life cycle analysis, there's some famous diaper life cycle analysis that says that single-use diapers are more sustainable than cloth diapers because of the washing with cloth diapers. That, to me, kind of veers into the greenwashing land Are there any other, you know, diapers? We talked about that. Are there any kind of nasty examples of greenwashing that you encounter or any tips for people to identify greenwashing? I don't want to hate on bamboo because I feel like there are also some good products. We're not pro or against (laughs) bamboo. Um, I feel like bamboo or viscosis, you know, Uh, the the fabric when you get a t-shirt and they're like, this is 100% bamboo and it's just so sustainable. Some are produced in a correct way with the fibers, but like 99% of these products are just not. They are chemically created and they use a lot of energy and process and that that's not healthy. I'm glad you brought up viscose. They mash up eucalyptus trees and turn it into this like super potent sludge, at least in Australia and then other places they use bamboo, like China. And then they'll just dump the liquid waste into the environment. Exactly. And then I see all these people saying, viscose is the most sustainable fabric. I'm like... Uh. I don't know what is, but I, it, it can't be that. <laughs> no, it's not. And all of these new products, I love that there are a lot of different companies that are trying to create new innovative fabrics and we should just keep doing that. But there's also, they're not regulated. You mm. would never, you can actually not get organic bamboo because there's no regulation around it. There's nowhere where you can actually trust a certification around this. So I think that every time we go into a new field, of course, you have to get a lot of information. Then you have to figure out what is good and what is not. And local productions are always good. You mean like locally produced materials or local fact, things you can go and just see? or Yeah, also things like, uh, for example, with the masks, having your neighbor sew 10 a day and buying that, that is just so much more sustainable than getting all of these different products from different areas. I know that the fabric is then probably from somewhere else, but then it's typically, you know, scrap. Oh, you know, I got this dress and then I cut it up and now I have a mask. And Mm. I think these like upcycling small companies, they're definitely like, I always get my stuff there if I can. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not just carbon, right? There's also local livelihoods. There's keeping waste out of the landfill. There's We can have different criteria for what sustainability means. It doesn't – and not everything has to be zero carbon because if you think about something like glass, that is going to use a lot more energy than something like plastic. But we would have a little problem finding a glass bottle on the beach. That's like cute. But if we find a plastic bottle on the beach, it's, it's like a nightmare. Exactly. These lenses can change things. So – Something I've been thinking about a lot is what is the future world that we want to envision? I think a lot of times when it comes to sustainability and the environment, it's a conversation around not doing something right, like not driving, not eating meat, not using single-use plastics. But I think there's a huge opportunity in presenting the future world that we want to live in. Like the future world could be more enjoyable. It's not necessarily a world of lack, even though it may be different in the world we currently live in. What is your future vision of the world? What, is, what would be your kind of positive articulation of the future for the next generation? I think personally, this is very personal. I don't know if my co-founders will agree on this. That's okay. <laughs> I feel like my future vision would be that everything slows down a little bit. Mm. That our day-to-day lives slow down, that we have time to cook a meal that we have time to go and get groceries at different shops and everything doesn't have to be so fast paced that you have time to smell the roses you know because that is sustainable Mm. it's sustainable to have time to think about your everyday life Uh, have time to not just be i don't eat meat i don't eat this i don't i'm not gonna you know buy this because it's made of this and this but if we just become more aware of what we do so when you go shopping and you want a new dress that's fine to get that dress but be really be aware of getting that dress and not just putting three dresses in your bag and running out of the store. Because they're each $3, so you might as well get as many as you can. Exactly. And I think this mentality is what is getting people stuck. And it's not making people happy. It's not making society happy. It's not making Mother Earth happy. I think if we have time to not yeah, get five dresses for $2 each, then we would be more aware of that one dress with those purple flowers or whatever, Mm. you know, and you can really envision yourself wearing this. You really, and you go home and you make that cup of tea and you read that book before you pick up the kids, you know, having that day to day and having that spread out throughout the world, that would just be like absolutely amazing. Less travel, less hectic life, less work, less moodiness, less stress. That sounds good to me. I mean, it's hard to look at the carbon targets we have, to look at consumption, to look at the ever-rising plastic and, oh, you're busy this morning, so you don't have time, so you're just going to pop in for a coffee and then you're going to grab that. Oh, you don't have time for lunch, so oh, you'll just get Uber Eats and then not, obviously not sponsoring this podcast and you'll, and then you'll, uh, (laughs) You rush around, right? Oh, I don't have that much. Okay, I could repair my shoes, but they're kind of messed up, so I'll just buy new ones instead. And uh, I don't know how this gets quantified into, you know, the discourse around sustainability or even made into a law, but I I, I like this vision of a of a slower world. In in Taiwan, we actually have one county on the east coast, very tropical, very laid back, and their development plan is slow economy. That's what they. That's their presentation is slow economy. And that just kind of, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. 
I love that. I'm going to move there. <laughs> yeah, come to Taiwan once COVID's uh, settled down, of course, and we have time. We can do so slowly. Okay. What's the future for Last Object? Do you have any secret objects you can hint at that are coming out? What should we be looking forward to in the future for you and, and Last Object? <laughs> well, I can splurge maybe a little bit. We're going to keep designing a lot of things in the bathroom area. I think we have some fun and exciting designs that we're still rapidly working on. They kind of go on the desk, off the desk, on the desk. It's We're three designers and we're very critical of each other's designs, not our own, only our, each other's. So it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a war zone right now, Okay, but it's fun. <laughs> we will here at the end of summer be launching our first version of a reusable pad. So for menstruation uses, yeah. Oh, okay. So that's very exciting. It's really exciting to also be able to launch some hygiene products that are more female focused. I'm excited about that. Not the two boys. <laughs> I'm excited about that too. I'm probably one of the larger male fans of the Diva Cup and the Moon Cup and all of those things, just because I've heard that it's so much better, reduces waste. Uh, but I know it's not for everybody. So I think it's great that you're designing a pad and focusing on you know feminine products and not making it this weird stigmatized thing. Exactly. There's so much taboo around hygiene, so much taboo around especially womenly hygiene. So I, I love that we're going into this field. I feel like there's going to be some, pro not problems, but like exciting bumps on the road that I look forward to kind of looking at and see where that brings us. Because I feel like if we can nail this one, then I have a lot of other things that I want to get into. So I think, yeah, okay. very excited. Yeah, we just, we have a lot of products that we really want to get out there in the world. So um, we're going to see us for a couple of years. Okay, great. We'll hope to have you back on when you, when you launch your next product or your next report. It's been really educational talking with you, Isabel. It's, it's a treat, I think, to kind of hear the design process that goes into circular economy products. You know, it's one thing to just see oh, there's the product, there's the reusable swab. It's another thing to think about the intention that goes on behind it, the stories, the inspirations that you draw from, these, these really durable chairs, seeing you know, your local community, people making masks. I think it's important for people to understand kind of the, the story behind the product and what goes into it. So thank you. Thank you for, for coming on the show and, and sharing. I think our audience will take a lot away from this. And I think I know what I'm going to be getting people for Christmas this year. Yay. <laughs> you ship everywhere? Do you ship to Taiwan? Everywhere. Taiwan okay. is actually a really good, a really big spot for us. I think really? in the beginning when we launched, Taiwan was like number three country. I mean, I could see that actually, because there's a lot of zero waste people here. Exactly. But number three. Wow. Okay. That's well, now I feel like I got it. My mission is to find someone here who uses last object now. I, I don't. I don't think it'll take me long, but uh, I'll seek him out. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. funny. Uh, we've sent a lot of uh, last swaps to uh, Taiwan, so uh, definitely we can send them. And we're, we have everything very locally based, so uh, so the shipping is sustainable. Okay, cool. Taiwan connection. Always, There's always some Taiwan connection. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Isabel. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Nature Nate, and this has been the Waste Not Why Not podcast recorded at Future Ward, a co-working space in Taipei, Taiwan. If you like this show, consider supporting us on Patreon. Do you have a question for us? Tweet them at us. We're at Waste Not Pod on Twitter, and our DMs are open. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Give us a good rating to let us know you really care. 
This has been a Ghost Island Media Production. This episode is produced by Yu Chen Lai, myself, Nature Nate. Our executive producer is Emily Y. Wu, edited by Yu Chen Lai. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. You know, in the past, I've criticized Kickstarter products for being greenwashing, but in this case, no, no, don't even, why am I so bitter? <laughs>